Welcome to episode 15 of the Think Wildlife podcast. Today we are Vance Martin, who is the president of the Wild Foundation. Welcome, Vance. It's a pleasure to have you on our podcast here. It's a pleasure to be here, Anish. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored. So my first question for you is about the Wild Foundation. How has your journey been at this NGO? You've been the president for almost 40 years. 40 years, yeah. yeah. I don't know anyone who's had a job that that long, but it shows what happens when you're enjoying yourself, you're getting things done, and, and you're having a good time. Yeah. One of your flagship grassroots projects being run by the Wild Foundation is Coalition Wild. Could you just please talk about this initiative and why is it so important to involve grassroots communities? Well, certainly. I'm Coalition Wild is a fabulous program. We helped to get it started in 2013 at the at the 10th World Wilderness Congress in Spain that we convened. Um, and these days, it's going stronger than than ever. The uh, the director Yen Parico is fabulous, doing a great job. Um, the mentorship program, accelerator program, everything's going well. And why do we do it? Well. Um, it, it's so important to have intergenerational interchange uh, for one thing. The other thing, it's important for the younger generation and all generations to have a peer-to-peer sharing network so they can learn from each other. So Coalition Wild, in my mind, um, does them both. It allows intergenerational sharing and support and intergenerational generational um uh so it's a great it's a great program i'm glad you're very involved in the accelerator yeah so one more campaign being run by the wild foundation is the nature needs half campaign so could you just please talk us through it and update us on the progress sure uh very briefly uh you know back in the 80s and 90s there really were no targets uh for amount of, uh, you know, for, for the main question, how much space does nature need? Because nature uh, produces life support called ecological services, but requires a certain space for her interactions and relationships to occur. But no one had ever really asked the question, how much space does nature need? So as conservation technology, remote sensing improved in the 80s, 90s, uh, early 200s, uh, a lot of information began to be more available. And it was very clear, and this is well backed up by science, well backed, um, that depending on the ecosystem, land, water, rainforest, grasslands, approximately half. Some are 80%, such as the Amazon, some are less. So we use that word half um, as opposed to 50%, because half is a sort of an average. And uh, we launched this at the ninth, at our ninth World Wilderness Congress in Mexico in 2009. Um, and um, I remember Sylvia Earle, the great um, uh, 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 underwater marine biologist, she came up to me as I came off the stage and, and she looked at me and she said, I only have one problem with nature needs half. And I said, what's that, Sylvia? And she said, it's not enough. Um, 
and I spoke, Jane Goodall was there and she was just all over and she was great. So we launched it um, in 2009. It was not universally accepted. It was considered to be audacious. People people weren't considering ambition and the the issues coming down the line of climate change and extinction and, and all of these um, are are more rapidly approaching tipping points, real challenging, random breakdown events than we had ever imagined. So we were always from day one, what Nature Needs Have was about, uh, was about creating a better relationship between humans and nature, because that is the core issue we have on our planet. There is not the sense of respect and love and, uh, and reciprocity between humankind and nature. So that's what Nature Needs Have is really all about. And we need a revolution in relationships between humans and nature on this planet. We need a revolution. Well, that's what Nature Needs Have is all about. We were, uh, many scientists didn't doubt it at all. We got a lot of stick, a lot of feedback from uh, major organizations, um, uh, NGOs. Um, they they were all saying, oh, no, we, we this is not politically possible and might not even be physically possible. Well, it is physically possible. Well, there's been a lot of progress made since then. 2016, uh, Professor Wilson came out with his book called Half Earth, and it suddenly became sort of uh, currency for mainstream conservation because of his wonderful reputation. And it wasn't just, oh, just a bunch of these fringe NGOs involved, you know, who love wilderness. Uh, it wasn't just their thing. Oh, my goodness, we better start paying attention. Um, so, uh, just to cut to the quick, we finally, it took us 11 years, but at the IUCN in their Marseille meeting last year, 2021, we worked a motion that was widely adopted and it was motion 101 that became resolution 125. And the first action clause of that is that it recognizes the science behind protecting half of the Earth's lands and seas and how important it is, recognizes the important milestone of 30 by 30, protecting 30%, which the CBD just just approved. Also, it recognized the absolute core importance of indigenous people as stewards of these lands, as full partners, not stakeholders, partners in, in helping us all. They need the land and seas the world needs it. We need to work together with our indigenous brothers and sisters to make this happen. So you mentioned the 30 by 30 framework, which is basically predicting 30% of the world's ecosystem by 2030. So do you think that is enough? Well, uh, no, it's not. It's a milestone. Uh, we, e- enough is approximately half. Okay depending upon which system it is. So we, we applaud the acceptance of 30 by 30, but we are still working with all of our colleagues very clearly towards the scientific information, which says for life on earth to prosper, to actually survive, large natural ecosystems need to be at least half of their pre-industrial size. And this also goes for uh, wildlife populations as well, because wildlife 
uh, has a tremendous impact on the climate cycle. Wildlife biodiversity impact on the climate cycle through how it eats grass, how they defecate, how they um, affect the ecosystem. This is a very under underappreciated, hardly known uh, phenomenon called animating the carbon cycle, animals and carbon. So these two things, biodiversity and climate, are really one issue. And we need to treat them together quickly because we we are quickly approaching, we're already seeing the uh, challenges of um, these things. So we call for more ambition. We call for recognizing science and we call for people working together to make this happen. You also mentioned the role of indigenous communities in conservation. So what is the Wild Foundation doing to engage these communities in conservation? Thank you. We've always, you know, our co-founders many years ago were a black man and a white man working in South Africa during apartheid. Uh, they were game rangers, uh, brothers, uh, uh, protecting the rhino, saving the white rhino from extinction. Um, <clears throat> so we've always had a very close working relationship with indigenous people and a great respect for indigenous knowledge. When we did the first World Wilderness Congress in Johannesburg in 1977, for the first time, our Congress, out of all Congresses in history, had indigenous peoples on the main platform along with the scientists and the politicians. This had never happened before. We've continued that tradition at every World Wilderness Congress. Plus, we do many on-the-ground projects. Uh, we work uh, in, in the Amazon. We work with the Kayapo for a long time. My brother, Tashka Yawanawa, chief of the Yawanawa people, we work with him daily. Um, we're also working... Um, with um, Native American tribes. Uh, and uh, one of our goals is to set up a indigenous council to have more on Nature Needs Half, to have more input into these targets because the role of indigenous people is fundamentally important and irreplaceable if we are going to save this earth. Thank you. So let's talk about the World Wilderness Congress. So it was started in 1977 by the Wild Foundation. So what is the purpose of starting this initiative and what impact has it had on conservation? Well, it's a long story. Uh, we've had 10. We almost had the 11th in Jaipur in 2020, but two weeks before it was to convene, 10 days before it was to convene, we had to cancel it because of COVID. Um, the World Wilderness Congress does several things. Number one is it builds community. It builds relationship between people who understand that wild nature is the foundation of human health, well-being, and sanity. And it's the progenitor of good business, okay? Uh, and so, as I mentioned earlier about nature needs half, uh, we need to build relationship. Therefore, we need to build community, and that community understands the importance of wild nature. So that's one aspect of it. The other one is to gather world leaders in a, in a non-institutional parallel process. When I say parallel, I mean parallel to all the UN conventions and the CBD and the climate COP. People like what we do because 
it is it is a it is parallel. It's not bound by all the rules and conventions. And uh, leaders can come and speak freely and get things done that they can't in other places. For example, the Global Environmental Facility of the World Bank, world's largest funding organization for biodiversity and other things. That that idea was started at the Fourth World Wilderness Congress in Denver in 1987. And uh, it was originally called a World Conservation Bank, eventually became the Global Environmental Facility of the World Bank. That's the third thing, uh, the importance of these congresses, of practical results, new organizations, new funding mechanisms, new vision, new hope. People come to these congresses and they're, they're beaten up, their budgets are down, they've been working hard. And the change these congresses has on people is the most important thing to me. They go away. I have countless examples of people saying, oh, I'm so charged up now. Yeah, new contacts. I really, I really feel good about what I'm doing. Thank you. That to me has been the greatest reward in my conservation career. That certainly is a great story. So I wanted to ask about what your opinion is regarding the recently concluded COP15. Uh, we got an agreement. <laughs> it was very much in doubt. Look, it's not a perfect agreement. Everybody there was a little bit groused off, a little bit mad about something. That means it's the best agreement that we could get. I'm quite pleased with it. Um, there are some things that need a lot of work, but the fact that it happened and it happened quickly, um, it happened on time. It didn't go on and on and on. I'm, I'm pleased. Uh, it gives further room for optimism. Um, now, the CBD and that process is not the full answer. The full answer lies in people, in communities, and organizations. It lies in people's hearts and in their ability to commit to action, to form a movement, get with like-minded people, pressure our leaders, give our leaders the cover they need to do what is necessary. Because time is running out. We, we can do this, but we need to do it now. And so um, that's that's the important thing. You know, the, the COP is important, but it is not the most important thing. The most important thing is what lies in our heart and the actions that we take together to protect and save this world. So talking about actions, the Wild Foundation is also one of the founding members of the Rewilding Alliance. What yes. role do you think rewilding has in resolving the current biodiversity and climate crisis we are facing? I think rewilding, uh, you know, there's a spectrum from restoration to rewilding. There's a lot of land that's been hammered, a lot of seas that have been empty, damaged. We need to take responsibility for that. It should be a joyous task. When you help to heal and fix bring things back to their full potential. And when you do that with nature, you're, you're not just helping yourself. There's, a, there's a, a synergetic effect of when you help nature because nature helps all life. So rewilding is extremely important. It, 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 it does have an aim of uh, an eventual goal of, of a wild nature where it's self-regenerating. It's a self-willed ecosystem. 
much restoration, and I think restoration is good, much restoration is based on let's fix this hammered habitat in order that it can grow food better, produce better water, stop erosion. All of that is good. That helps people. That heals nature. What we also want is to return that magic of wildness to nature because out of wildness comes evolution. And we seem to have forgotten that we're, we are wild people. You know, our DNA was crafted in wilderness when we were around the campfires in the caves and in the trees. So wildness is very deep within us. And part of what we're doing by rewilding or protecting wilderness is we're simply rediscovering ourselves. That might sound a little bit philosophical, but it's the truth. And, uh, and there's a lot of power in there when you realize who you are, what you can do, and you get about doing it with other people. So do you think enough is being done in terms of rewilding? Well, I, I think it's an amazing global movement. Uh, ever since we started the Global Rewilding Alliance, uh, Carl Wagner and Magnus Silden and I and you know, we just discovering new groups all the time. We're not even advertising. We're not trying to attract members because there's so many. But you have tremendous efforts like, you know, large continental scale efforts like rewilding Europe, rewilding Britain. Uh, Tompkins Conservation started and then spun off uh, re rewilding Chile, rewilding Argentina. There's uh, the Peace Parks Foundation in South Africa which is uh, rewilding, restocking huge areas of land. Um, there's actions all over America, and there's small actions, too. You know, it's local communities renovating, rewilding their local quarry, which was just left, you know, mined and left, creating gardens, biodiversity, water, fish, uh, and the same thing in, in the oceans. Um, you know, people are finally setting up no-take zones because the science is very clear. You set up a no-take, that's no fishing zone in the oceans. Perhaps you allow some local artisanal fishing. Suddenly, the ecosystem responds. The fish stocks, the biomass increases incredibly and spills out from that no-take zone, which is in effect a marine wilderness spills out and, 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 and creates food and creates biodiversity, creates life in the ocean. So we need these areas, which are sacrosanct, so that nature can recharge. And when she recharge, everybody benefits. Everything benefits. Which rewilding project has been your favorite in the last few years? Oh, I, I have so many favorites, you know, from the Tompkins work and rewilding uh, Europe and, and Peace Parks Foundation. But I tell you, one of my favorites is in, is in India. It's a very, it's a man named Pradeep Krishan. And uh, he uh, has done a number of small projects in Rajasthan. These are, you know, 100 hectares, 200 hectares small. But they are done in a way very differently. They pay attention to soils. They're very natural. They're not forced. And it's these small projects, and, and he's not an ecologist. 
he's just figured it out. He's actually a filmmaker and a, and, and a writer. He wrote a book called The Trees of Delhi. He's a real Renaissance man. And, and his work, you know, I love it all. Uh, you know, the Bush Heritage Network of private places in Australia is amazing. Um, but I must say, I have a soft spot for Pradeep and, and the work that he's done because he's, he's done it through his heart and his head. He's taught himself and it's worked. So one of the projects which the Wild Foundation is working on is the Mali Elephant Project. So yes. just talk a bit about the project and why particularly elephants? Well, uh, of course, um, elephants are a keystone species. Um, one of the reasons we were, uh, and by keystone, I mean it affects so much, right? Um, this small herd of elephants, numbering anywhere from 350 to 400, uh, are unique. They're a desert-adapted elephant. They have the longest recorded migration of any elephant herd in the world. They have an area the size of Switzerland that they migrate through, depending on water and, and grass. Um, we came upon them through working with Save the Elephants many years ago, and we took that on. Uh, we have a very good team there, all Malian team. And uh, this is called community-led conservation. It's not just going in to help the elephants. It's asking the people, number one, do you want the elephants? Okay. We do social surveys that sometimes go on for months, if not year. And we find out what people want. Our role is to find out what people want and help them get it. And, of course, a healthy nature is good for them and it's good for everybody. And thankfully, these Malian people, there's 13 ethnicities in this region, they wanted the elephants, uh, not for food. They wanted the elephants because it was a sign of health of the ecosystem. And they all said to us, elephants also have their own baraka. And I said, what's that? And they said, a baraka is your own special gift that you give to life. And if the elephants are gone, we'll never have their baraka back again. So it's it's a challenge. It's the middle of a war zone, jihadists, bandits, uh, wars. It's a, it's a very, very tough project. We've had assassinations. We've had all sorts of things. But the project is working because of the of the of the um, commitment of our team and because of um, of good grace. Thank you. That is certainly a scary yet inspiring story. So what is your future vision for the Wild Foundation? Well, uh, my future vision is very much in the hands of my team because I'm stepping back from um, from Wild after 40 years. And um, uh, I'm taking a little time to reflect on what I've done. And um, we have a good new leadership team. It's being structured right now. We've been mentoring for years. Um, we've had a succession committee underway for two years. Um, their deadline is July of this year. So I just felt it was time to accelerate that process. So I'm stepping back. Um, the, the new team is already in place. We have a new acting president, a new acting vice president of operations. We'll be hiring another, at least one person. Um, things are good. Uh, Wild has a has a very you know all the programs are doing well. Our impact is incredible. 
you know, whether it's Coalition Wild or whether it's the work in the Amazon or we're beginning to very gently, quietly plan the next World Wilderness Congress. But I'm stepping back from that now. And I will emerge in due course because I don't want, I, you know, I want the new leadership to run the show. So as you move towards the end of your career, what has been some of the greatest learnings from your conservation career? Well, I'm not sure it's the end of my career. It's the next phase of my career. I'll put it that way. The 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 greatest learnings. That's that's a that's a a, a very uh, pertinent question. Let me say that I've repeated myself, and I'm going to do it again. The most important thing is relationship. It's relationship of people with nature and people with each other. We need peace. We need common vision. We need we need to work through the differences. And by doing that, our results are hugely more powerful, more efficient, and have greater impact. So reciprocity with nature, giving and taking, respecting, as well as with human beings. You know, I started off as a forestry person back in the 60s. And I got out of that real quick because the attitude of everybody at that time, or most people, was, Grow the trees, cut the trees, put the trees in the in in the mill. That's our job. And then just you know, I was eighteen. It was my lifetime dream to be a forester, and I said, "That's not my dream." You know, so I worked for years, meeting different people. I was lucky; I had very good mentors. Yeah, but but gradually, it it came to me that you know, science is important, policy is important. Economics is important. We work on all of them, but those are all tools, right? What is the hand that holds those tools? And that hand is culture. It's human culture. It's everything that informs us who we are, how we need to survive, what our highest ambitions are, and what we need to do to move forward. That's culture. So Wilde spends a lot of time thinking about that. And that, to me, is one of my greatest learnings. The power and importance of relationship and the role of culture in, in creating truly efficient, long-lasting solutions. So moving on to my final question for this podcast, how can someone contribute to the Wild Foundation? Well, uh, if... If you're fortunate enough to be in a position where you can financially su support, it's wild.org. Very simple. Um, if, if that's not what you wish to do, then, then read about what we, we do and, and get to work in your neighborhood, in your back garden. Plant, be, be attracting plants and nurture your butterflies. Help your local squirrels. Um, have your neighbor's farm develop nature needs half and leave half of it wild. There's so many things to do, whether you live in the city or the country. Um, we would, of course, appreciate your help. But by you uh, doing what needs to be done, that's the greatest help of all. That's a very positive way to end this podcast. Thank you so much for your time. It is a really Good pleasure to speak to you.
Can I add one thing? Yeah, sure. I just want to add a, a, a sense of unqualified hope and reality. We are all facing very serious, a very serious situation in this world. And it would be foolish to deny it. But I encourage everybody to know that we can do, do, do this. And it's, it's our work. It's why we're here on this earth. We were born for this moment. It's exciting. It has high potential. It will not be easy. Let's get on with it. Let's work together and get on with it. And the work that you're doing with this podcast is part of it. And I thank you. Thank you. That's a very deep thought to leave the podcast with. Thank you so much. Thanks.